Our scripture today is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. But he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, well, good morning, y'all. Good to see you. Um, this, is a, this is something I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of, but this, this past Monday uh, is referred to, kind of in, in the pseudoscience world, as Blue Monday. And, and it's called Blue Monday because it is pseudoscientifically referred to as the saddest, most depressing day of the year. And, and that's true for a number of factors. So you, you, have, you have the bad January weather, you, you have the, the novelty of Christmas and all the things we got that, you know, it's kind of faded away a little bit. Uh, you've failed at about two-thirds of your New Year's resolutions by this time. Uh, but, but the kicker is that around this time is when we start to get our credit card statements showing all the things that we spent on the things that we don't really like anymore. And then you take all of that and multiply it by the variable of Monday, and you get the most depressing day of the year. Go in peace. Have a great week. Now, in all seriousness, I, I share this in, in, in jest because there is a sense in which this kind of Blue Monday phenomenon uh, it should cause us to step back and recognize that we all do have a, an interesting relationship to the way in which we think about money and possessions. And the way in which we relate to these things has a significant impact on our lives, which is why I want us to ask the question as we, as we continue on in our series in Simply Different is ask this question, what does a simply different lifestyle look like? How do we relate to money and possessions? And what does Jesus have to say to these matters? And if you've been with us, we've been, this is our third week in this, in this brief series. It's our last, time, uh, last message in the series, looking at this simply different life that Jesus invites us into. And, and I want to say up front that this subject that we're going to look at, talking about money and possessions, this is not an easy subject to talk about in general much less in a public setting, and much less in a church setting, okay? And so, but, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. Because money, like, like so many things that has the ability for great good and great evil, is something that we should talk about. And, and to, to avoid talking about it would actually make me a bad pastor. And so we want to spend some time discussing this and looking at the way in which Jesus teaches how this different lifestyle is to be lived out. And we all view money in different ways. You know, there's a spectrum. You know, some of us may find ourselves having more than others and, res uh, and, and maybe looking down on those that have less than us. Uh, we may find ourselves having less than others and resenting those that have more than us. We all have a different way of looking at money and possessions. 
And, and for me, growing up, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, we did not have a lot of money. Uh, we lived for a long time in my childhood on welfare and food stamps, and, and, and I did. I had a very unhealthy relationship to money and people who had more than me. I resented people who had more than me, and yet I also longed to be them and to have their lifestyle. And I recognize we're all in different places financially speaking, but again, we need to understand that the way in which we relate to money and possessions is something that has a direct impact on our lives. And so before we continue on in our time, as we look at Luke chapter 19, I want to pray for our time uh, that God would give us His blessing on the teaching of His Word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer, asking for your wisdom. Lord, we ask that your spirit would enlighten us, that we might see your word and hear its truth, that it would have an impact on the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we relate to others and think about our finances, our money, our possessions. So Lord, would you bless the teaching of your word. May it edify us and may it honor and glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our text this morning, Luke 19, uh, we see this phenomenal uh, exchange and interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, and what we're going to see as we kind of journey through this, this section of, of Luke 19 is really just this one big idea. So if there's one thing you, you remember from this morning, remember this, is that Jesus loves us into a life of joyful generosity. I think that the heart of this message between Jesus and Zacchaeus that Luke is showing us is that Jesus loves us into a life of joyful generosity. And we're going to unpack this idea by looking at just a few things. And the first is the greedy heart of Zacchaeus. The greedy heart of Zacchaeus. So chapter 19 opens up kind of the context here. Chapter 18 shows Jesus is on his way to Jericho. And chapter 18 ends by Jesus healing this blind beggar, the lowest of the low, poorest of the poor. And then chapter 19 begins by Jesus entering Jericho and interacting with the richest of the rich, namely Zacchaeus. And we see in verses 1 and 2 who Zacchaeus is. So he, referring to Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, the thing about tax collectors kind of in the, in the Greco-Roman world, they were known for being notoriously corrupt. And so they went around, the way that they gathered their wealth is by adding these kind of superfluous charges and fees onto the taxes that they collected. And, and the thing that, that kind of tipped the scales in the favor of tax collectors is that the commoners did not have really much of a working knowledge of Roman tax law. Only the tax collectors did. And so no one really understood what was being charged of them, which is what allowed the tax collectors to overcharge their neighbors, their friends, their colleagues. And so this is very much the case with Zacchaeus. But Luke, if you notice, goes out of his way to say that Zacchaeus was rich, which all tax collectors were rich. So for Luke to say that Zacchaeus was rich was to, to say that Luke, or Zacchaeus was exceptionally wealthy, which means he was exceptionally exploitive in, in defrauding his neighbors and friends and potentially family. And so here is where we see the greedy heart of Zacchaeus. He was not simply making an honest living. He was making a killing, and he was doing so by exploiting and taking advantage of the vulnerable, the poor. He was very much complicit in perpetuating economic brokenness and injustice within his community. But Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus had no remorse. He had no remorse whatsoever for how he treated 
his colleagues, his co-workers, his cl- uh, and, and his neighbors. Clearly, we see the greedy heart of Zacchaeus, but the story continues as we see something very remarkable in the gracious pursuit of Jesus going after Zacchaeus, a man who deserved no respect, no love or appreciation, and in spite of him being complicit in perpetuating economic injustice, we see a gracious pursuit of Jesus displayed. Now, we see in the story, Zacchaeus is actually the one kind of pursuing Jesus. There's an interest he has. Clearly, he's heard of the the notoriety, the the fame of Jesus as a teacher, an influencer. And so, Zacchaeus wants to learn from Jesus. But the amazing story, the amazing thing in this story, rather, is that Jesus pursues Zacchaeus. And we see this in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, now, to kind of paint the picture here, so Zacchaeus, short guy, you know, he wanted to see Jesus, and so he climbs in the sycamore tree. You guys all know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was, no one's going to sing with me. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, no, no worries. Uh, so, G- so Zacchaeus climbs in the sycamore tree so he can see Jesus. But what's amazing is that Jesus can see Zacchaeus. And he calls, so it's not like he's being secretive and hiding, he's not camouflaging himself very well. Jesus can see Zacchaeus, which means the crowd with Jesus can see Zacchaeus. And keep in mind, this crowd is made up of the very people that Zacchaeus has defrauded, which means that in this moment, Zacchaeus up in the tree, this is a great opportunity for the crowd to hurl insults at this man who has taken so much from them, which is why Kenneth Bailey, a phenomenal commentator, in speaking on this text, gives us some background here. He says, this moment, Zacchaeus up in the tree, this encourages the crowd to fling at him, Zacchaeus, to fling at him all the choice insults they've wanted to use for years in his office, but could not. In Zacchaeus' office, they had names and faces, and he was the one with power. But outside, under the tree, they are anonymous, and anyone can shout from the crowd using any four-letter word that comes to mind. And it's in this moment as Zacchaeus is being attacked verbally and accosted from the crowd, and in some ways rightly so, like, can you fault them? In this moment, Jesus intervenes, and he does something astounding. He invites Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree into the very vulnerable place of the crowd where someone might be hiding with a knife to go at Zacchaeus. This is their opportunity. Jesus invites Zacchaeus down, And Jesus is fully aware of the fact that this man is complicit in such evil injustices in the community, and yet he invites him to come be with him. Jesus knows that Zacchaeus has heartlessly, selfishly, and knowingly exploited and defrauded his neighbors, and yet Jesus graciously pursues him, loves him, and calls him to himself. And so while the crowd, if you notice as as Luke kind of paints the story, as the crowd stands in the way between Zacchaeus and Jesus, Jesus does not allow the crowd to keep him from pursuing Zacchaeus. And what happens next is really nothing short of a miracle as we see the amazing generous response displayed in Zacchaeus' life. So first we see Zacchaeus' response in in verse 6, where where he responds to Jesus' loving invitation to come down. So verse 6, and so he, Zacchaeus, he hurried and came down and received him, Jesus, joyfully. Now the word joyfully is is key here because in this moment, like leading up to this, Zacchaeus has just kind of had a, a general interest and intrigue in who Jesus is. But to say that he is now coming down out of the tree into a place of vulnerability where anybody could attack him, 
And to do so joyfully says something about Zacchaeus' posture and his attitude and his view of Jesus the Messiah. And then Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to your house today. So Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, and they spend time together. And it's not just like an afternoon snack. That The language that's used is really describing this kind of lot to take up lodging, to spend the night, to spend quality time with this person. And so Jesus invites himself over. Now, we don't know the, what happens. We don't know what, what Jesus says in this moment. But what we do see is that in response to the amazing generous hospitality or it's not hospitality, I guess it's Zacchaeus' home, but the amazing generosity and love that Jesus extends Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus stands up and declares these words in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now notice, notice that Zacchaeus is not being instructed to do this. He's not being coerced. It's not coming out of this moral obligation or this godly guilt, but he is responding naturally from the amazing love and generosity that he's received from Jesus. On his own volition, Zacchaeus is coming to the conclusion, I must give half of what I own to the poor, and I must right the wrongs that I have been complicit in perpetuating. I must pay back fourfold that which what I have stolen. It's not like in this moment, I mean, and again, we, we don't know what, is, what Jesus is saying, but, but, but it's, it's not like in this moment that Jesus is saying, okay, here's the deal, Zacchaeus, because you've now come to follow me, because you're going to be one of mine, uh, you need to memorize the Ten Commandments, you need to give away half of what you own, you have to make sure that you right every wrong and pay back fourfold, and then once you do that, Zacchaeus, you come back and I'll give you the super Christian badge. Like that, that's, not, that's not the exchange. What, what Jesus is saying, what we see in this interaction, is that Zacchaeus, in light of this amazing compassion that he has received from Christ, he can't help but respond in a life of justice, compassion, and generosity. In fact, this is one of the rare instances in the New Testament where we see someone who encounters Jesus and, and who kind of expresses some, some kind of, 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 of joyful willingness to follow him, and we see their natural response and reaction. We see a life that is lived in response to responding to Jesus. And in, and in Zacchaeus' instance, it is a life of compassion, of justice, and generosity. Zacchaeus vows to generously give away half of what he owns, and he vows to pay back fourfold all that he has defrauded amongst his neighbors. And again, this is not religious obligation. This is not godly guilt. It is almost this natural reaction. It is a response. It is an overflow of the amazing compassion that Zacchaeus, the one who does not deserve any kind of love in this setting, he responds, why? It's because I think this is exactly what Luke is getting at, that in this story we see this profound truth that Jesus loves us into a life of joyful generosity. He doesn't expect something from Zacchaeus. He's not putting a burden back upon him. But Jesus loves Zacchaeus. And in response, Zacchaeus can't help but respond. And we see this evidence in, the, in verse 9. What does Jesus say? Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. A life that has experienced and encountered and received the amazing love and compassion of Jesus cannot move forward unfazed. There's not an option. I mean, this is what I think Luke is getting at in showing this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, that Jesus loves us into a life of joyful generosity. 
I mean, how, how could we respond? I mean, when we understand with open arms, Jesus loves us and invites us into a new life with him that he secures for us through his life, death, and resurrection, to respond to that open arm invitation with closed arms of bitterness and closed hands of stinginess, there, there's no category for that. It's not an option. Zacchaeus is showing us that Jesus loves us into a life of joyful generosity. And, and, and I share all this I, I, to give us the context of the story to kind of frame for us as we think about what does it mean, what does it look like for us to live a simply different life when it comes to our relationship to money and to possessions. I want us to have that context of the compassion of Jesus to frame our understanding of generosity, to frame our relationship to possessions, because without that, this will just look like a message that's really a masked way of guilting you to give to the church, and that is not my heart. I hope you hear that. But what we need to see is that the love of Jesus compels us to a joyful, generous, generous life. But, but let me say this, e- even if we've come to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and, and, and you've come to see the generous love you've received from him, and that compels you to want to be a person of generosity, which so many of you are, it doesn't mean that we're automatically really good and wise with making decisions about money and possessions and our lifestyle. It, we, we need to spend some time, and that's why I want to spend the rest of our time as we, in the framework, and the backdrop of the love of Jesus extended to Zacchaeus that compels him to live generously, I want to devote some time to helping us think about what it means to embrace a simply different lifestyle in light of this generous love that Christ has shown. But before, before I do that, before we get to kind of some of the nitty-gritty kind of practical stuff, let me say very clearly, this church is ridiculously generous. And, and, and I say that because, I, I, again, I don't want you to think that this message is this kind of Trojan horse to get through to get you to convince yourself that you need to give more to the church. That is not what I'm trying to get at. Our church is remarkably generous in so many ways. And just to kind of highlight, financially speaking, this past December was one of the most generous Decembers we've ever experienced at Christ's community. Additionally, as we have attempted to raise funds for Reach KC, our general fund giving never dipped. And so we were able to, on top of the way in which you have generously given, been able to fund the initiatives here at Olathe and Land for Shawnee Mission. And on top of that, we actually have not even begun to take on debt uh, for the project yet. That, that comes at the end of January, actually. But to this date, we still, it's been debt-free in this project. And, and let me say, if you're, if you're new to the church, uh, we, we want to be transparent about the way we talk about money and the way we handle the, the stewardship of your generosity. And so if you want to know how we spend our money, our, our budget and all that information is on our website. If you're interested, please look into that. We want to be open and honest and very wise with the stewardship of your generosity. So again, this is not a masked message to try to manipulate you into giving. But, but with that said, I want us to think about some practical steps in living this different lifestyle. So first is this. We need to have a loose grip on our stuff. We need to learn how to have a loose grip on our stuff. M- many of us live, I think, in, in what I refer to as kind of a, a paradoxical poverty in the West, and particularly in America, we, we, we have this belief that the more we have, the happier we will be. But I think every single person in this room recognizes the hollowness of that, that there's a sense in which the more we gain, the more problems we develop. We, we sense that there's a greed that grows the more we add on to what we have. 
Uh, the, the comedian and actor Jim Carrey, who, who's a funny guy, but a really thoughtful person, ironically, uh, said this very, very well. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. And I, th- and I, th- I don't know if Jim Carrey read Jesus' words in Luke 12, but that's really what Jesus is getting at when he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is more than the accumulation of stuff. And so we need to learn to be okay with less. And part of what that means is, is, is learning to, how to buy less, how to consume less, how to bring stuff in. I mean, we just are overloaded with things in our life. And, and, and I, I recognize that all of us are in different financial situations and stages, and so, so frivolous spending looks different for, for a lot of us. But we should ask the question, what is it that is compelling me to have this thing, to hold on to these items? Am, am I making these purchases to keep up with the Joneses, to, to maintain my status amongst my coworkers and classmates? Do I really want this thing for its good and for the ability that it brings into my life to love God, love others, and enjoy life well? Or is this truly just a means by which I can establish my status and be better than my neighbor? The fact remains that all of us, regardless of our financial situation, we all fall prey to the trap of spending money we don't have on stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. You know, maybe you've heard that phrase before, but we all in some ways fall into that trap. And, and it proves the truth of that old adage that the stuff we own ends up owning us. And so are we willing to look at our possessions, look at the way we hold on to things and let, let go of them? And so a couple things to think about as we try to have a looser grip on our stuff. First thing is this, is just go through, do an audit of your own possessions. I mean, maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you'd like avoid looking at the basement because there's just so much junk down there you don't even want to recognize how much we have. But is it possible for us to do an audit of what we have, to go through and ask, why do I have this? Do I need this? What service is this creating? What what purpose is is it fulfilling? And, and, then, and then decide, is this something to keep? Is this something to donate? Is it something to sell or something to repurpose? Go through what you have. Secondly, discern the motive for why you own things and why you purchase things. Is it, is it really to own this for some purpose, for some meaning, or is it really to just keep up with the Joneses in some way? And, and one thing I would say with that is when, when you think about your possessions and purchases, just invite others into that conversation. Let others speak into some of your financial decisions, especially large ones that have implications for your family, your community, your work, your savings. Who else is speaking? That? And then lastly, when it comes to holding things loosely, is maybe ask the question, and, and this isn't the silver bullet, it's not the only filter to, to ask, but ask the question, will this purchase, does this thing that I have, does it, does it serve a way, is it, is, is it directly involved in some way in, in helping me increase my love for God and for my neighbor? I'm not saying that's the only filter, but, but if you can't find any connection between the things you own, the purchases you make, to, to those pictures of loving God and loving others, it's at least a yellow light to cause us to step back and just wonder, okay, do I need this? And again, invite others into that conversation. Pray over your purchases. So have a loose grip on your stuff. Secondly, I think we need to have a watchful eye on what we spend and even where we spend it, to have a watchful eye on what we spend. And what I mean by this is that even if we do have a generous heart and, and a desire, we, we have high compassion, generous capacity, 
but that doesn't mean you have high economic capacity. And so we need to have some kind of plan, some kind of budget, some kind of system that allows us to not simply guard ourselves from greed, although that's true, and to guard ourselves from excessive spending, although that's true, but we need some plan, some budget that serves as a tool to allow our compassionate capacity to have some economic capacity to be able to love and serve others? Do you have some budget, some plan that you can employ and implement? And there's so many tools and resources out there. One thing I would point to is if you've never done Financial Peace University, uh, we offer that class in the spring, and so you'll hear more information as we get closer to that. But that is a phenomenal class, a great resource to think about our relationship to money and possessions and that allows us to be released to living a more generous life. But with this point of having a more watchful eye on our spending, there's also a sense in which we should be watchful on where we spend, that we should be wise and conscientious and compassionate and just consumers, which means that we need to know where are the things that we purchase and the companies and organizations we support. Do we know where the products are coming from. Are we aware of how my pair of jeans has is, is come to my, to, to my home? Are, are, are we unintentionally, like Zacchaeus, are we implicitly or complicitly uh, or explicitly involved in perpetuating injustices through some of the companies we may support? I'm, I'm not telling you where to shop and, and, and who you should support, but we should at least be mindful of the companies we are supporting. And so, so what I mean by that is, is we should support good work. Be an informed consumer. Know where your money is going. Try to, and, and, and celebrate good work amongst your coworkers. If you recognize the good work and the integrity of practices that people within your sphere of influence practice, celebrate that, recognize that. Praise good work. But we should also, we should also create good work. That we should be mindful, that we should ask the question, is there any sense of, of Zacchaeus in me in the way in which I go about my work? Whether in the home or outside the home, I mean, do I see myself perpetuating unjust practices? Do I see myself being okay with white lies that can grow and snowball into these serious implications that lead to economic and societal fracturing? We need to create good work. We need to support companies that, that aren't simply just about building profit, but care about people and the planet, a multiple bottom line. Are we creating and supporting good work? And lastly, with this, Perhaps we need to repent of bad work. Perhaps we need to repent of, of the ways in which through our work and through our practices we have perpetuated unjust practices. Or perhaps through the way in which we've supported certain companies and organizations mindlessly, thoughtlessly, that are complicit in the violation of human rights or whatever it may be. All I'm saying is that we should be mindful of how we spend our money and where we spend our money. And lastly, as we think about these, these kind of categories of having a loose grip on our, on our stuff, having a watchful eye on our spending, we should also have an open hand with our money. We, we have to embrace the difference between ownership and stewardship. That, that God, I mean, when we understand that God has not simply given us things so that we might just enjoy them, although that's true, I'm not saying that we should never enjoy the blessings that God places in our life, but when we only see the things that we have and the gifts and the talents and the time and treasure that God has given us, when we only see them as means for our own personal pleasure and nothing else, we are missing out on the life God has called us into. So by all means, enjoy the things that we have, enjoy the blessings that God places on us, but do we have a posture of stewardship saying that God has given this to me? 
to be used for his purposes and not simply a posture of ownership that says, this is mine, I'll do with it whatever I want. The more open we are to the truth that God owns it all, the more open we will find our hands when it comes to our possessions, our time, and our money. Now, when we understand the generous heart of God, that, that only serves as a greater catalyst to our generosity. When we understand how generous God has been towards us, it compels us to be people who, who want to have open arms and open hands. You see, this, this idea of stewardship is not just a, a theological reality, but it is an economic catalyst that I believe can release and position the church of Jesus Christ to be an amazing institution and place of hope throughout our world. There was a study done recently by an organization called, called Generous Church, and one of the things that they concluded was that the average giver, uh, church attender, uh, gives 2.5%. And again, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. Uh, what's interesting, they did point out that during the Depression, the average was 3.3%. But the study went on to say this, that if the global church were to give at a rate of 10%, it would bring in an additional uh, $165 billion to be stewarded throughout the world. And their research went on to conclude that, that with that $165 billion, $25 billion would relieve global hunger and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion would solve the world's water and sanitation issues, which would leave over $110 billion left over for additional ministry expansion. I share this not, again, as a way to manipulate you, make you feel guilty, but rather to give us a spirit-empowered imagination for what could the church do in our world if we truly saw what we have and who we are from the posture of stewardship and not ownership, to be released for godly purposes throughout the world. What would our city, what would our church, our community and world look like if we truly looked at all that we had and said, it is yours, Lord, do with it as you will. Now, now, let me say this. I, I, I want to encourage you because some of you, like, I, I, I can't even imagine going to 10%. That's ridiculous. And, and, and maybe that's impossible for you right now. But hear me say, I'm not expecting, I'm not telling you to say go from zero to 60. Start somewhere. I mean, like anything, it takes practice. And so are we willing to at least begin a step towards a life of generosity that truly is for our good, for the good of others and the glory of God? So like anything... It takes practice, and what would be that first step? And I do, I, I hope you, you catch that vision, and, I, and again, I hope you hear me say that when we talk about a generous life, it is not something we want from you, it truly is something we want for you. We believe that the generous life is the best life, and the reason why is because we believe that Jesus loves us into a life of joyful generosity. When we understand the profound truth of Jesus' love towards us, in the gospel, the generous outpouring of God the Father and giving us Christ the Son who lived and died and rose for us, that truth forces us, compels us, it pushes us naturally into place of saying, I have an open arms of love and compassion and open hands of generosity. So as we bring all this to a close, I, I hope in many ways, I hope, this, I hope this series has been practical and painful uh, for you. It has been for me. Uh, because we all know we need help in these areas of, of, of time, of attention, and money and possessions. And while we do believe that the simply different life that Jesus invites us into, it's not easy, we do believe that it is good. And so my prayer for all of us 
Wherever we are in the faith journey, the spectrum of faith, my prayer for all of us is that in 2018, that we would be a people that would grow to see Jesus as our greatest priority, that we would be able to fix our attention on Him and the things that truly matter, and that in light of His generous love towards us, we would be released to be a people of great compassion and generosity towards those who need it. May that be so of all of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would awaken us to the depth, to the power, to the, to the amazing picture of your generous love towards us in Jesus. Lord, may we see that you did not hold back your only son, but gave him for us. Lord, would that truth compel us to live lives of generosity with our words, with our money, with our possessions, our abilities and skills, our networks and connections. Lord, would we love you and love others generously? I pray, Lord, that you would guard us from, from, from the greed within all of our hearts, that we would not be enslaved to the things that we own, but truly we would see all that we have and all that we are as a gift given by you to be stewarded for your glory. Lord, would you release your church to be the hope of the world? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I, as I shared, I do. I, I hope that this series has been practical and painful. Uh, truly, uh, yeah, th- just that it would compel us to live lives that are different, that are not easy, but are good. And, and one of the things that, that we want to do this year, just so we don't kind of forget this series and maybe the things that God has maybe been teaching us, is we're, we're going to be doing something called Simply Different Mondays. And so every Monday, there's going to be a, a post on our social media feed on Facebook or Instagram, just with a simple tip, a little life hack, a, a practical practice uh, that we can employ uh, in living out a different lifestyle in regards to time, attention, um, and, um, and, and, and money. And so uh, hopefully you can kind of tune in those and maybe those will be helpful for you. And then lastly, uh, next week we are starting a, a new series in the book of Acts uh, as we look back to see the church that Jesus commissioned uh, to be sent out into the world to bring hope and healing uh, to this broken world and as the call that has been placed on us as a church as well. And so I hope you join us as we begin that journey through Acts. So as we leave this place, I want to share the blessing that I shared over our beautiful children uh, this morning. And so hear these words as a blessing as we leave this place. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go and have a great week.